Good morning from the Financial Times. Today is Tuesday, April 12th, and this is your FT News Briefing. Investors are bracing for another high U.S. inflation report, and the war in Ukraine could worsen one of Russia's biggest long-term economic challenges. Plus, there's a new kind of activist shareholder in town. A lot of conservative activists feel they lost the universities, they lost Hollywood, and now they're losing corporate America. The FT's Andrew Edgecliff Johnson talks about the new conservative shareholder movement. I'm Mark Filipino, and here's the news you need to start your day. Okay, so you might have noticed that the markets are a jumble of jitters right now. There's debate over whether there'll be a recession. There are COVID lockdowns in China, which could impact all kinds of global trade. And of course, there is inflation. Today, we'll get the latest report on U.S. inflation, and it's expected to be another doozy. Estimates have consumer prices for March increasing more than 8%. Here's the FT's Colby Smith with more. I think in a lot of ways, this is priced in to a certain extent because expectations have built up over the course of the month for this March CPI report to be uh, pretty terrible, given developments with Russia's war in Ukraine and the following surge in energy and and food prices. So in a lot of ways, um, I think people are looking at this report as Uh, you know, a snapshot in the immediate aftermath of these geopolitical tensions. And in a lot of ways, I think there are expectations that perhaps this represents close to, if not the peak in inflation. But nonetheless, when you see consumer price growth, you know, well above 8% annually, it definitely is noteworthy uh, for market participants. So, Colby, do you think that investors are more concerned about inflation or a recession, which, you know, some people point to as the end result of all these rate rises that the Federal Reserve is expected to put down this year. Mm-hmm. I, I think investors are really split on on what's more concerning at this point. When you do look at some of these inflation figures, um, I think what's quite notable is you're starting to see a pickup in services inflation, which economists know is stickier and harder to reverse than, let's say, you know, inflation in the goods sector, which was by and large a result of supply and demand mismatches. So when you're seeing inflation pick up in the services sector, um, that fuels concerns that, you know, inflation is going to become even more embedded uh, in the U.S. economy. But on the flip side, the more embedded inflation is, the more the Fed is going to have to act aggressively to root it out. And that's why you've seen this pickup in recession risks uh, as well over the past couple weeks, because the Fed has really tried to position itself as acting aggressively to contain inflation from here on forward. So given how far inflation is above the Fed's 2% target, I think there are some pretty credible concerns that the Fed might actually overdo things at the end of this year and into early next. Colby Smith is the FT's U.S. economics editor. So a few months ago, Russia's President Vladimir Putin was at a conference, and he said that his number one long-term economic challenge is population decline. Russia's fertility rate has dropped, just like it has for other developed countries, and it's really contributing to the slowing growth of Russia's population. Well, many believe that with this war, Putin is shooting himself in the foot. It's definitely going to exacerbate it. That's Federica Coco. She's a statistical journalist for the FT. 
it's sparked a sort of exodus of highly educated professionals, which the country needs for its economic recovery from COVID, for example, not to mention the sanctions now. It's going to possibly yield thousands of casualties, and many of them are going to be men of childbearing age. No, well, maybe not childbearing, but do you know what I mean? And also people who would have contributed to the productivity of the country for decades to come. Federica says Russia's population problem also goes back to the 1990s. After the fall of the Soviet Union, there was a big economic crisis across the region. And that led to alcoholism, which led to chronic diseases. Russia also registered a very high suicide rate. There was just a whole swath of factors and that led to the mortality rate, particularly for men, to skyrocket. And 30 years later, Russia is still suffering the consequences of that because, of course, with a reduced population in the 90s, there are now fewer people in their 30s. And so what's happening now is that many of these particularly men uh, are either being enlisted or they are in professional jobs and are now facing an economic crisis due to the sanctions. And so many of them are now leaving. Federica Coco is a statistical journalist for the FT. When we talk about investor activism, we usually mean hedge funds or other big shareholders who pressure corporate boards to change the way they run their company, usually to make it more profitable. It also refers to investors who push companies to be more environmentally friendly or racially diverse. This year, though, we're seeing an uptick in proposals coming from conservative shareholders. Our U.S. business editor, Andrew Edgecliff-Johnson, joins me now to talk more about this. Hey, Edge. Hi, thanks for having me. So what are you seeing, Edge? What kinds of issues are right-leaning activists focusing on? What's interesting is they're often choosing the very same subjects and maybe even the same language sometimes to raise questions about human rights, about racial equity, about political donations and charitable donations, which have been issues that have been mostly raised by the left and by sort of centrist groups. Okay, so is there an example that jumps out at you? Yeah, there's an interesting case study at Johnson & Johnson where you actually have two separate proposals asking for racial equity audits, one from a conservative group called NCPPR, one from a group which represents a, a bunch of nuns called Mercy Investment Services. And the conservative group is arguing, while its proposal itself uses very similar language, its kind of supporting statement argues that the racial equity programs that companies like Johnson Johnson use are themselves deeply racist and that possibly employees who are deemed non-diverse could face discrimination. Now, Johnson Johnson obviously contests that view. Ed, what do you think is behind this rise in conservative shareholder activism? You know, what did, what did folks tell you? The big picture is really a breach between the conservative movement, or certainly one wing of the conservative movement, and the mainstream of corporate America. A lot of conservative activists feel that they lost the universities, they lost Hollywood years ago, and now they're losing corporate America as CEOs adopt more liberal with a small L causes. And essentially, they've seen their liberal opponents use annual meetings as quite an effective platform to first get publicity for their 
favorite issues, but second, to change corporate behavior. And they're trying to use the same strategy to achieve the same ends. Just out of curiosity, do we have a sense of how effective their proposals are? Well, one analysis of this proxy season that we quote found that there were a record 529 environmental, social, or governance proposals filed by the point that they did this analysis, but conservative groups had filed only 5% of them. So this is still very much a minority pursuit. And I think the other important point to make is that so far, conservative groups have had very little success at persuading other mainstream and institutional investors to join them. That said, it is on the rise from a very low base. Andrew Edgecliff Johnson is the FT's US business editor. Thanks, Edge. Thank you. And before we go, entertainment companies continue to team up in the race to build a metaverse. You know, the online worlds where people play and buy stuff as avatars. PlayStation maker Sony recently partnered with Lego to create a metaverse for children. Now, those two companies have bought stakes in Epic Games. That's the developer behind the wildly popular Fortnite. Yesterday, Epic said Sony and Lego had taken sizable stakes, which put the value of Epic at more than $31 billion. You can read more on all of these stories at FT.com. This has been your daily FT News Briefing. Make sure you check back tomorrow for the latest business news. Support for this podcast and the following message come from Coriant. Coriant provides wealth management services centered around you. As one of the largest integrated fee-only registered investment advisors in the U.S., Coriant has experienced teams who can craft custom solutions designed to help you reach your financial goals, no matter how complex. Real wealth requires real solutions. Connect with a wealth advisor today at Coriant.com. That's Coriant.com. Join Capital Group CEO Mike Gitlin for a new edition of the Capital Ideas Podcast. In unscripted conversations with investment professionals, you'll hear real stories about successes and lessons learned, informed by decades of investment experience. It's your look inside one of the world's largest asset managers. New episodes are available monthly. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. Invest 30 minutes in an episode today. Published by American Funds Distributors, Inc.